I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 59. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hi, Broker Nation. I am thrilled to introduce our guest today, Boris Bosick. He's the CEO of Merrick's Financial. He's been in the mortgage business for over 26 years. He founded Merrick's on the back of a napkin 10 years ago, and it's now a company over $20 billion in assets. And I'm absolutely stoked for this interview today. Boris, are you ready to rock? I'm ready to roll there, Scott. How are you doing today? Awesome. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage business? Because nobody usually starts out as a little kid saying, hey, I want to be, you know, I want to be in the mortgage biz. Yeah, I do. You know, it's like most people in this industry, I bumped into it. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting story. Well, at least it is to me. I always, you know, envisioned myself after school that I was going to become a real estate tycoon. And I figured anybody could sell me real estate. Even when I didn't know about real estate agents back then, I figured anybody could sell me real estate. What I didn't know is what I thought was very... Very, very important. Why would somebody give me money? And how do you get money? Mm-hmm. And so I just went through the process myself of getting a mortgage through a mortgage broker. And I still at that point couldn't understand why he gave me the money that they did and how we got it approved. So I thought this was going to be a six to maybe 12 month gig to get myself an education and off I would go uh, to other uh, to other adventures and you know accumulate all kinds of real estate. And well, here I am 26 years later still in the mortgage business. So I started off as a mortgage broker. So uh, I knew what it meant to hustle for a living. Okay, now, albeit I was a mortgage broker when we were chiseling applications on a cave wall, uh, the world... (laughs) Was there a fax machine? When you started, was there a fax machine? Actually, Scott, this is the honest truth. I remember the broker bringing in a fax machine to our office, and he said, you got to see this. And so we plugged it in, and we watched it work. And and I remember the broker owner looked at us and said, you know what? This is never going to work. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, uh, brokering back then was a little bit different. I mean, but you know what? In, In some ways, it was a little bit more efficient, too, because I would never see a customer unless they came in with a complete package for me, mm-hmm. right? Because you had to meet every customer face-to-face. So they, they would come in and they would give me a, a complete package and then I would work on all of my deals for a couple of days and then you would sort them and then you would uh, create a milk run by going to actually drop the deals off to the lender and so you could uh, convince them to issue you a commitment and I'd say 90% of the time beg them to do the deal. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, it was old school lending. It required uh, a mortgage knowledge, uh, a fair bit of sales acumen, and boy, a lot of charm to be able to get a lot of those deals done. So, mm-hmm. and then so, <laughs> and so you, yeah. sorry, sorry. So you started in, you got this mortgage the first time done through a mortgage broker. But then, how did you, how did you become a mortgage broker? It's like, where did you, what, what prompted you to go from, hey, I got a mortgage to. I want to actually do this for work. Well, you know, it was interesting. As I said, I was looking for an education and I remember talking to my real estate agent. I said, you know, you sent me to this mortgage broker and they did a really good job and I want to get into this field. You know, do you think you would hire me? And she goes, well, best way to find out is to pick up the phone and call them. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. And I told him that I wanted to get into that space. And I remember him recommending, because he asked me where I lived, and he recommended another broker that was closer to my home. And, and I remember, and maybe it was because I was uh, I was ego-driven at that time, I said, you know, the guy's trying to blow me off here, and, which of course made me want to work for him all the more. Right. Right. So I went to go see him. I did the pitch. I told him, I, you know, I, you know, I do whatever is required 
required, uh, you know, to be successful at this, you know, a good learner. Everything that you say when you're one of those eager, new, you know, green, wet behind the ear, you know, new entrant into a marketplace. I did that. And I did a lot of the donkey work at first and, you know, from paperwork and, you know, putting together packages for them. And it was, it was fairly rudimentary. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I took to it. I really did. I, I loved it, uh, which was really kind of ironic considering math was never one of my stronger suits <laughs> in school. But uh, thanks, you know, to those little brown books that we had at that time, uh, we could do all of our mortgage calculations, but it was all done by hand. And uh, uh, yeah, that's that's how I started that business. And, uh, uh, and then I came to a point where, you know, I needed something else to sort of turn my crank. And I need at that point in my life, I wanted a different challenge. So um, I ended up moving out to Vancouver. Uh, didn't know anybody. I just uh, went through some uh, personal uh, issues and I thought, you know, it was time to start a new chapter. So off I go to Vancouver all by myself. And I got a job with Mortgage Center Canada is the area franchise manager for Western Canada. And uh, it was a wonderful experience because up until that point, I had never been west of Manitoba. Mm-hmm. And so I lived in Vancouver and worked in that space and ended up managing a brokerage firm eventually uh, in Vancouver. But it offered me a really unique experience that not only was I a mortgage broker, like all of our customers are, and we refer to brokers as our customer, but I had a chance to work on you know both sides of the country, mm-hmm. east and west, and being able to appreciate the subtleties, the differences, and the nuances. So uh, these were all layers that you know helped me develop over time, you know, and I think that assisted me that we finally went live with Merrick's that had helped me uh, able to uh, work with some outstanding people internally and our customers externally to grow the company to a certain level of success. Right. So just out of curiosity, so what do you perceive the difference between like a, the BC, your BC customer being brokers versus your Toronto customers or your people from out east? <laughs> I gotta be careful. I'm gonna put you on the spot here. So yeah, it, but I, yeah, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna parch my words uh, very carefully here. I would say the broker in Western Canada, and specifically in BC, views more. I think they view their business more on the consumer advocacy side than the broker in the east who views his business or her business from an entrepreneurial side. Mm. Right. So yeah. when you're trying to push a button of a customer, there's a different approach that you take, right? So the rate sensitivity, you know, the ease of the documentation and all the post servicing that a customer gets, you know, that's the that's what you spend time talking to a broker in Western Canada and specifically in BC. Where in the East, your initial salvo, if you will, in discussion is around money. Mm-hmm. Right. So here's how much you can earn. Here's how much we pay. Here's some of the variances and the difference to, you know, that's available in the marketplace. And oh yeah, here's the interest rate for your customer. Right. right. So to me, those are the two primary differences. One's not right and one's not wrong. Mm-hmm. It just there is a difference. Right. And then you have the broker. I would suggest there is another region is in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't believe I'm volunteering this. I, I know. Don't keep don't going. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> keep going. This controversy is good. <laughs> no, no, no. I, but I will say this about Alberta. Uh, it, the Alberta broker, when it comes to understanding nuance of policy, they're the absolute best in the country based mm-hmm. on my experience. I mean, they know in terms of CMHC, Genworth, Canada Guarantee, that where their policies are, you know, where the commas are in that policy, they can recite a chapter and verse. Mm-hmm. And so the discussion that you have with them in a lot of ways is the real nuance of the policy and in terms of, well, you can make an exception based on this policy. Now, I know I'm making some broad generalizations here, right, right. in terms of my statements, but those those are how we, that's how we categorize the brokers differently from across the country. And, so, and then when we, we're putting strategy together 
in terms of what our communication is going to look like and sound like, then we can direct it in a specific manner to a specific region of the country. Right. And actually, a friend of mine who would fit that bill, his name is Tyler Volk. Have you ever heard of that guy? Oh, yeah. I know Tyler. Yeah. Yeah. I call him a mortgage ninja because honestly, any mortgage question that I'm like stumped on, I'm like, hey, Tyler, what do you think? And he's like, oh, yeah. You know, he's like Rain Man or something. He just can remember. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of those okay, guys. There you go. <laughs> um, and he's in Alberta. Okay, so before we dive into more about the story of how you became the CEO of Merrick's and founded on the back of a napkin, I'd like to ask about a success quote that's really impacted your life or business. Because I find quotes are portable, they're memorable, and they're just something that can help you keep on track. So can you share a quote that's really had an impact on you? Oh, sharing a quote, I don't know. You know, as I get older, you know, I get uh, bits and pieces. I'll tell you a quote that I found rather profound recently, and I'll share it with you. It was a sales training uh, session that we took all of our uh, staff to, and it talked about customer interaction and service levels, and, you know, and and here's what he said, and he explained, uh, gave us a scenario, and he said, you know, this problem, it's not our fault, but it's our problem. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's how they handle everything. And it was almost like this light went off uh, for me. And I thought, that's it. Because I think in this industry, we have a tendency spending way too much time trying to assign percentage of blame. Mm-hmm. Right? You're 65% at fault. I'm 35%. So therefore, you got the bigger piece. Therefore, it's your problem. It's not. And so we've tried to now um, instill into our people, it doesn't matter if it's not our fault. It's our problem. Mm-hmm. That's really so the good. only thing that you, the only thing that we have to do now is to find a way to fix it. We can look at the symptoms of the problem post mm-hmm. to ensure, or at least to try uh, to make sure that it doesn't happen again. But at that specific moment in time, this is our problem. We own it. So can you share, that's an awesome quote, can you share an example of something recently that you can think of where you applied that principle of, hey, it's not our problem, but it's, or it's not our fault, but we, it's our, we're going to take ownership of the problem? You know, we, we do that daily. You know, documents get missed, mm-hmm. right? It's, uh, okay, here's what you got to do. And, you know, and they said, well, I can't get it done. Okay, we got to fix it. We're the ones who have to call the solicitor. We sometimes might have to call the customer directly. It, it's those things that you're prepared to do that go above and beyond. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you can't sit there and go, hey, this is what I'm paying you for. Yeah, that's true. We had an expectation. But here's the thing. So what? At that particular moment in time, and and I will tell you, this usually happens within the last 10 days, just prior to closing, Mm -hmm. right? When we're we're flooded with docs and everything else, and that's where you have to sort of, you know, write that down on a piece of paper, put it up on your bulletin board or put it in front of your computer screen and say, it's not our fault, but it's our problem. So Mm -hmm. if you called me in the last 10 days, I could probably give you all kinds of examples, Mm -hmm. kinds of examples. Now, as far as another quote goes or another saying, I remember a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to listen to Michael Eisner speak. And for those who don't know, Michael Eisner used to be the uh, CEO of Disney, uh, ABC, Mm -hmm. ESPN. And he said something that really struck with me because it was one of those seminating moments, right, where you go, aha, I've never been able to crystallize it that way. They talked about Disney and their experience and how they get to perfection because that's what their stated goal is. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, at Disney, we don't allow our employees to think outside the box. What we make our employees do is master what they do within their box. And when they master it, we put them in a bigger box. Mm-hmm. That's good. And I knew, you know, for years that term has bugged me. We got to think outside the box. Whatever I hear it organizationally, that usually means for me people are bored, mm-hmm. right? Or people are looking for a magic bullet or a magic solution, right? To fix a problem where in a lot of ways you have to get back to fundamentals and through pure repetition and execution. 
in mastering that. And so, you know, when I when I heard him say that, I thought it was going to be sort of one of my go-to things as I go forward. When I hear somebody say, you know, no, we got to think outside the box. And my first answer then, of course, is have you mastered everything in your box right now? Mm-hmm. Because if you haven't, let's stop thinking outside the box. Right. That's right. really good. Yeah. That's really good. Um, so I'm going to switch gears from uh, the quote to failure. I know that for me as a mortgage broker and entrepreneur that there's been times there's been failure and but there's always looking back, there's a lesson in it. So can you share something that you had failed at and then looking back the lesson you learned? Oh my God, I fail every single day. <laughs> then pick, a big, pick a big one then. <laughs> You know, you know, it's interesting. That's um, it, when you do, without any kind of risk and failure, there can be no growth. You know, and uh, one of the things that I failed at when we originally, you know, we did some research, but we didn't do uh, enough in-depth research. Is that when we, for example, when we started Merrick's, I really believed, and based on what we were told, that this model was going to be very attractive for that senior mortgage broker between ten to fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Right? That they're going to accumulate some wealth, and that you know. And they were starting to think about the future. And, and then when we launched, you know, we went to go see all these brokers that we maybe spoke to beforehand. And, you know, they said to us, ah, oh, you know what, Boris, it's, it, it's a real shame that you weren't here five years ago because I'm going to be getting out of the business two years from now. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they've been telling me now this for the last 10 years, right? <laughs> because they don't know how to get out. Right. And so the failing when we first started is not really identifying, you know, where that sweet spot was. Was, and it was a lesson that I learned in terms of doing the proper research. See, we talked to these, you know, experienced mortgage brokers. And you know what? Quite frankly, with or without trailers, they can survive because they do quite nicely. We had to change track and gear very, very quickly in. Well, after we first launched and say, okay, we got to stop talking to these guys because for whatever reason, it's not resonating with them. And we have to change our strategy completely and look for that broker somewhere between 15 to 20 million in an age demographic between 25 and 45. Mm-hmm that had a good, you know, a number of years ahead of them in the industry, but they weren't doing an extraordinary amount of volume where they will think they will always survive, mm-hmm. right? They look at their income and go, yeah, this is kind of nice, but uh, I want to start thinking about tomorrow. And I'm not like broker B down the street where I do a hundred million mm-hmm. a year. And so to me, a failing when we first start that our research in terms of, you know, who are, <laughs> what are planet and who's going to actually be attractive to, it wasn't in-depth enough. Now, we were very fortunate that we could shift gears. We were small enough and we were nimble enough that we were, and we were smart enough not to dig our heels in, mm-hmm. right, and allow ego to take over and say, okay, here's where we need to go right now. And we did that. Um, and, and we were very fortunate that we still hold a record for the most amount of origination in the first year of operation of any new entrant into the mortgage industry, mm-hmm. you know, prior or since. And, and we were also very fortunate that the market was very buoyant at that time, mm-hmm. you know, back in 2005. But so what? We took advantage of that. So this to me was a failing on our part that the research that we did wasn't extensive enough and that we didn't really capture who our ideal customer would be. And uh, I've never made that mistake again. Right. So you basically, your target customer in your mind anyway, who you thought was the target was not working out and then you just pivoted and said, okay, then who is going to be our target customer? And, and how, like, how quickly into the process? So you launched your company and you got this great, like how quickly did you guys pick up on the fact that these sort of brokers that are nearing the retirement were not interested in making a change to how they did their business. This was pretty clear within 60 days. 
Mm-hmm. And what I found very fascinating, these are the same individuals that you know we did speak to prior to launch, and they said, yeah, no problem. I'll send it to you. Mm-hmm. And then it's go live time. And then it was almost, ah, you know what? And you know, I'm going to be getting out of the business, but why don't you come back and talk to us mm-hmm. in six months from now or 12 months from now? It was almost like, nah, you know what? You're going to need to go cut your teeth somewhere else. Right. Well, it's good that you guys then, recognized it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so we, as I said, uh, we certainly uh, didn't dig our heels in from an ego standpoint and say, no, 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 we're going to demonstrate to everybody that this was the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, it was after about 60 days, we just went, uh-oh, right? But and but once again, we were smart enough to, and we were ego-less mm-hmm. enough that we uh, could, uh, uh, that we did identify that and said, okay, let's let's go and get it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, that's awesome. I'm going to ask now, uh, we had talked briefly off-air about sort of a little bit about where Merrick's came from 10 years ago. But I just want to take you back to um, you originally you were a broker, then you worked a little bit in, in banking, and then ten years ago you had this idea. So share with me where the idea for Merrick's came from to from the, the back of the napkin to twenty billion in assets today. Well, yeah, you know what? Uh, I worked at TD Bank. Um, I was a director for national sales uh, for the broker channel and also for their builder business. And in a valuable lesson that I learned, I'll, I'll never forget this. Um, when I was at the bank, I remember at that time it was the Phylogic report that came out and, you know, TD had finished number two, close on the heels of first line. And when I first got there, we were, you know, comfortably in number seven. And I remember a senior executive of the bank sees me in the hallway and he calls me down. He says, hey, you need a word? And I said, sure. And he says, listen, I just saw the final logic report and I just wanted to say congratulations. And I said, oh, you know, thank you very much. Yeah, a lot of people are working hard. I'll never forget. He put his arm on my shoulder and he said, you know, there's nothing wrong with being number two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I re- and it was just like at that very moment I said to myself my career is over here mm-hmm. right because I get that I can't win all the time right. what I don't get is when somebody that has the resources that could assist me and you know and, and we could get the number one that you look at me and say it's okay being number two right so I, I knew that, that my time was going to be coming up and I also knew that we kept bringing uh, uh, some ideas forward and it was always yeah this is always you know it's interesting but uh, uh, you know what, just carry on the way that you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And so Kathy Gregory and myself, you know, uh, uh, spent uh, many nights uh, um, enjoying a, a vodka soda. And we started to flush this idea on the back of a napkin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after about getting, oh, I don't know, 130 individual napkin slips and you know, somewhere here's a business plan, we thought, you know. If and and how, many, business, how many how many vodkas? <laughs> <laughs> more than the napkin slips, right? You yeah. know, and it's funny, the more vodka we had, the greater this plan sounded. Um, you know, if we think we're, we're that smart, why don't we do something about it? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we're, we're both at the, you know, at that time in your life and when you're at that age where you go, if I'm ever going to take a risk, now's the time to do it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, from there, uh, you know, the first thing that we had to do was hire the CFO because we needed somebody to make sense of our idea and, you know, how can this thing actually make any money? And then you go out and raise the capital and, you know, much to my surprise, there was a, there was a group that said, yeah, we're really interested in this and uh, they become our primary investors and eight years later, uh, there's a liquidity event and uh, uh, they got, a, they got a, a return on their investment and I can't tell you how proud that makes me because you know they took uh, they took a lot of risk in us uh, they believed in the people because all they had was a document and a piece of paper in front of them and they stro- and they're the ones who stroke the check so uh, to be able to garner a return for your investors is uh, uh, to me is a badge of honor
together. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were all very, very proud of that. And now we have new investors. They're fantastic, a private equity firm out of New York, and uh, they work with us. And, you know, the company is now at a different stage than it first was as a startup. And, you know, so the expertise and the the capital requirement and the investment back into the company, it's at a different level today. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the the new owners bring, you know, that level of expertise uh, into the business as well. And, uh, you know, knock on wood, uh, it's all, it's all, it's, it's progressing nicely. So just out of curiosity that you, you have this, these conversations, um, and then you finally decide, okay, we're going to pull the trigger on this. When you gave your notice for your job, like, was that, what was that like, as far as like, cause you have this, obviously a pretty good role with the bank and it's secure. And now you're going to jump into the unknown and you're going to come, you're going to bring a business model that was in a lot. I don't even think it existed prior to you guys. I know that Macquarie was around, but I don't know if who came first, but, um, so what, what was that like? Well, first off, yes, we were first. We were there before Macquarie was. And, uh, but I, I got to tell you that walk down the hallway to go and see uh, the SVP that I reported into, it was a long walk, mm-hmm. right? Because you're it's like right. the green mile. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because this was a safe gig for me, mm-hmm. right? and I could have I could have probably stayed there for quite some time. You know, I, I had enough experience in the in the broker space, and you know, the bank still does have resources in that, and it's a very recognizable brand. I mean, Christ, I don't have to sell it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, so uh, uh, from 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 that perspective, it was it was a hell of a risk. I'll tell you how risky it was. How old was I? I was fifty two, fifty three. Sorry, forty two, forty three when I pulled the trigger. It was two years later that I told my mom that I quit the bank. <laughs> hilarious. You didn't tell her for two years? I didn't tell her for two years because she would have freaked, right? My mom is old school. She's old European. You know, Mm -hmm. you have an important job at the bank. You would have to be insane to get that job. That's awesome. (laughs) So yeah, it took took me two years to muster up a courage to tell my mom that I'm no longer with the bank. That's awesome. Okay. So (laughs) that was kind of the past of where you guys came from. Now I want to switch to the present. So there's lots of obviously lending options available in the marketplace. So what, in your words, what makes uh, Merrick's unique? Listen, I, I think our uniqueness is is the fact that we do things a little bit differently than everybody else. We're constantly challenging ourselves to say, how can you be a little bit different than the other guy? And if the other guys and, and, and most of the industry is going down this road, how do we veer off slightly to make ourselves noticeable? And, and, and the first thing, obviously, was trailer fees mm-hmm. when we came up with that because nobody had it. Everybody knew about it, but there wasn't anybody that went out there and sort of legitimized it as a, as a compensation model. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you know we're proud of uh, of today is that many brokers today are receiving reoccurring revenue in some form from other financial institutions. And I can assure you this didn't happen because said financial institutions woke up one morning and said, hey, how do we pay brokers more? Mm-hmm. Right? They recognized this was a trend and that this was a want of mortgage brokers. And there was, a, there was a brand in the marketplace that a broker could hold up and say, hey, these guys are doing it. They seem to be garnering some success. So unless you provided for me, for me, I may have to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And so for us to have that kind of influence and being this small player gives us a, a degree of satisfaction. Another thing, for example, you know, when we first came out, you know, we, we had the term selective access. We knew sort of where the industry was heading and we believed that it was heading. We knew that we couldn't deal with every mortgage broker in the country, mm-hmm. right? So we would have to go out and target individuals. Remember, we were doing this before we even did one single deal. Mm-hmm. You know, the 
temerity, but it was a part of our principle and our philosophy. And yet I take a look at the pooling that is done today, where most FIs are designating or identifying certain brokers as saying, this is the go-to, this is the broker of record uh, or agent of record that I want to deal with. So, you know, the, the industry, you know, has, has adopted more and more of that as well. We were the first FI really to embrace social media. I remember the first time that I heard you know, this thing called Twitter and, you know, I called a couple of 20-somethings into my office and I said, you need to explain this to me because I don't get it. And, you know, they looked at me and said, listen, you dinosaur, right? And they're talking to me. And even after it was finished, I, I, I came to the conclusion, I still don't get it. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if I don't get it. Our customers appear to be getting it. Mm-hmm. And I said, the world is going to change and we need to change because we can't force feed our customer one communication vehicle. Right. We're going to have to offer them multiple ways to communicate that communication to them and let them pick and choose how they want us to communicate to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, in, in the most recent iteration and evolution is the launch of Lenwise and the success that we're garnering with Lenwise. Now, Lenwise, quite simply, is a compensation model, and it mirrors a little bit more, you know, the traditional compensation models in the industry. Now, what makes us different is that a broker that we're dealing with can now pick compensation models based on the deals that they have on their desk. Mm-hmm. In other words, if I got a hundred thousand dollar mortgage on my uh, on my desk right now, maybe I want the upfront comp on this particular deal because it's a smaller one. But I've got this other five hundred thousand dollar mortgage. I'd like to get trailers on that for a long time. Mm-hmm. So instead of trying to force feed just one compensation model down a broker's throat, we're saying, listen, you know your business better than we do. You know your needs and wants better than we do. We just want to be able to have an umbrella or a tool chest of things that are available that can satisfy your needs of what your needs and wants and you pick and choose which one you want right now that's good and and that's been an iteration how long ago did you guys start that exactly. Lenwise really sort of on steroids if you will and it was about two years ago mm-hmm. and we're seeing a tremendous amount of growth and what we're seeing too is that you know, a lot of the Merrick supporters that we have well they were still doing business with other FIs mm-hmm. they just weren't doing it all with us because for whatever reason they were gravitating because they wanted the upfront comp now a lot of our supporters were giving them that option you don't need to go somewhere else because it's the same underwriter, mm-hmm. right? right? It's the same business development person. Uh, it applies to your status program that we have. Mm-hmm. So there's all the treats and all the goodies and all the benefits that you have. And, and when I explain it to people in the marketplace, here's how I explain it. Avis and Budget are owned by the same company. Mm-hmm. Yet they're two d- distinct brands, right? right. And, and what we wanted to do is to make sure that we had two very distinct brands in the marketplace. That when you looked at the Merrick's X, it represented future revenue, mm-hmm. right? And book value. When you looked at the Lenwise brand, it was about the today and now. Mm-hmm. Right. That's good. Yeah. Because I see more and more big companies tend to have different brands to, although just recently Future Shop and Best Buy and Future Shop shut down, but they right. were this, owned by the same company, right? And you had two different business models that ran simultaneously. So, yeah, that's, that's right. brilliant. Like, for example, Rogers owns Fido, mm-hmm. right? You know, uh, Touchstone Pictures is owned by Disney, right? right. Touchstone, Touchstone Pictures is where you'll have the profanity and some nudity, mm-hmm. right? So they certainly don't want to attach that to the, the Disney brand. Right. So you call it something else, but you're getting a bigger piece of the market. Right. 
Okay, I'm going to switch to just the future now. So where's the opportunity for, do you think, for, for lenders and for brokers in the next couple of years? You know what? I think the brokers play a critical role into the future. In, and I think one of the advantages of all the complexity of mortgages today and all the changes to the regulations, I believe, makes, it, uh, makes the broker even that much more valuable in the value chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone's got to explain this stuff. And so I, I think from an opportunity, but I think from a broker standpoint, I think one of the things that has to change is uh, you have to try to stop being all things to all people. Mm-hmm. And I would say this to a new person specifically when I say new broker, I'm, I'm thinking maybe five years or less. My advice and counsel to them is pick one segment of the marketplace and become the preeminent expert at that segment. So if it's first time home buyers, that's where 80 to 85% of your time is spent. Mm-hmm. And think about technology, think about communication, think, 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 think about everything about first time home buyers. Now, if you get a private deal, you get a commercial deal, of course, you're an entrepreneur. You want to get it because you want to earn some money on this when you, and, you, and you need the revenue. Pass the deal on to somebody with the expertise. Mm-hmm. Don't let it bog you down. Right. And I think this is happening today is that I think some brokers are taking on this diversity of different types of deals. And then with the complexity, you can't be an expert in all things. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and, and because you haven't focused on one segment of the marketplace, you can't, you know, you can't really point to one thing and say, man, this is my domain. This is my space. Nobody knows it better than I do. And so this to me, I think a level of expertise relative to you know, a segmentation is going to be required. And I would also say the advent of technology and embracing it in every possible manner. You know, you, you think about the banks and what, you know, and what they're trying to do. And, and as much as we like to pride ourselves that you know, the banks have really emulated brokers in terms of mortgage sales force and they copied us. And well, now it's time maybe for brokers to start emulating that because what the, bro- what the banks are really after now is the is the customer experience. Mm-hmm. It's the total customer experience. And so the challenge now for brokers is how is that interaction and that experience between customer, borrower, and myself, how is that unique? Mm-hmm. What am I doing to make that unique? How is it different than everybody else? And so to me, this is the challenge for brokers going forward is how do you make your customer experience different? Because you know what? The mortgage almost becomes the lost leader. Mm-hmm. Everybody today is in how do you make me feel? Mm-hmm. Right. So I think we need to focus more on the feel aspect and the emotional quotient of the sale and of the chain that that's required versus just I'm going to get you the absolute lowest rate. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah, that's a race to the bottom. So I have absolutely enjoyed this interview today, Boris. Where can people find you online? You can find me online quite simply at uh, merricksfinancial.com. And uh, listen, if you haven't, uh, I would encourage, uh, I blog a little bit. Uh, I, I must confess, I, I just blog whatever I find interesting for that particular, uh, on that particular day of the week. It's not necessarily of, uh, about mortgages all the time, but it's uh, to the point with Ozik. And you can find my blog. And uh, for, and if I will, if there's anybody that's listening and want to call or get a hold of me, it's Boris, B-O-R-I-S dot Ozik, B-O-Z-I-C at merricksfinancial.com. Awesome, Boris, and in anybody listening, they can go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com and all the links I'll put to Boris, to his uh, website, to Merrick's. And uh, Boris, I really appreciate your time today, man. And I hope Merrick's continues to crush it. Thanks much, my friend. And it was, uh, it was my pleasure. Thanks. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Have you joined our VIP club for mortgage brokers yet? If not, you're missing out. We share exclusive content not available on the web or the show. We share scripts, step-by-step guides, and other insider tips to help you save time and make you more money. 
I can't tell you how many times after I turn off the recorder, a guest starts sharing some awesome advice or a script or, or a tip, and I take the best of this and share it with my VIPs. If you want to get on the list, visit ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. That's ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. Oh, and one other thing. Since this is exclusively for mortgage brokers, there is a skill testing question. Good luck, and I hope you continue to rock your mortgage biz.